art and bold fit podcast. You are now rocking with the best. Art and bold fit podcast. We are back. Another week, you guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. We are here. Episode was this 112 of the Art MBS podcast, the podcast by artists for artists and art lovers from the streets to the gallery. We got you covered. Let's get some housekeeping out the way. Shout out to the cats over on Apple holding us down. Hit us with that subscribe. That five-star review and that rating, it helps us with the algorithms. If you're listening on Spotify, hit us with that follow. And then uh, shoot us the the star review, man. They just unrolled the reviews. You can give us a a five, a four-star, you know, however you want to give it up. Listeners on the web, we appreciate you guys coming back. Announcements. So uh, we took the plugs off. If you guys are looking here, you can insert your sponsorship ad here. Hit us up if you're looking to... uh, you know, work out, work out something on the R&BS podcast. You can get a commercial going. Also, we still got T-shirts on the Teespring. I have a few paintings left. Um, I'm trying to clear out my inventory before I go to Greece. So, yeah, man, holler at me on that. Other than that, uh, yeah, we're going to get to a lot of other stuff. We got, we got some other, we got some other announcements. But once again, congratulations, Vic and Masoyan, who won the uh, first place um, prize in the Sorensen's black and white portrait, uh, or no, it was just a black and white painting. You got that. And then, um, yeah, shouts to all the other cats, uh, you know, holding it down. Raquel Justo just opened up a studio, Studio 146. So if you're in Fresno, check that out. But yeah, we're gonna get to this episode, man. Let's stop. I feel like we're forgetting something. Um, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. And if we didn't get to it, then it wasn't really that important. So, first time listeners, you seen the cover art. You read the description. You know who's here. You might be a little confused what's happening. I came in to listen to this Michael Garcia interview. There's music. I'm a little confused. We'll just hold tight. Relax. Because the confusion's about to it's gonna continue. You know, we're not getting to that for a second. We got just relax. Returning family members. You saw me just get out of the whip. I mean, it, I mean, we here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know what time it is, y'all. Let's go ahead and get some music going. Um, Because if we didn't do that, anything else will be uncivilized. So hold on, man. We we experienced some mad technical difficulties, so I'm going to do this all on the fly. Boom. Let's go. Cold-blooded punches. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cold blood punch ins, turn me up. What y'all know about this, man? We taking it back on. Michael Garcia's in the building. We're gonna talk about a lot. We're gonna, all my podcast family, what up? All my painters, where you at? Whether you using acrylic, aerosol, gouache, you know what I'm saying? Oil, whatever, whatever you got, I see. Get to a lot, man. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some travel, some world travel on this episode. Got some mixed media to talk about. Art and gold podcast. 
smoke it if you got it, sip it if you got it. What you sipping on? Y'all got the uh, LaCroix? I know you into that carbonated water. All my cats with the IPA, hold it down. Staying caffeinated, what you got? You got that espresso, you got that breve. All my homies with the halal macchiato, I see you. Cats with the dirty chai, they still, they not catching up, man. If it don't got the espresso shot, it's not dirty. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Michael Garcia is in the building, y'all. This is this is an exciting time right here. But you know what, though? When we pulled up... He was. He had some music blasting through the front door, ladies and gents, family. He, he had the cuts blasting. So I got. I got to switch it up. You know what I'm saying? Just in the spirit, because when I heard what he was bumping, when I got on the doorstep, I was like, Oh, I see where I want to go in this episode. So let's go there. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Turn me up. Art and Bullshit Podcast. You know about this, Michael? You know about this? It's <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, James, yeah. thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We here. Thank you for having us. No, no, baby. Art and Bullshit mm-hmm. Podcast. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Vibe and now y'all it's that kind of day, it's that kind of episode. No, All my podcast family, where you guys at? Tennessee, I see you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, California, Oregon. Man, we got so many heads. New Jersey, Virginia, Cincinnati was good. Chicago. Art and Bullshit Podcast. And it was popping. We got some. Okay, we're going to have to just take y'all home. Art and Bullshit Podcast. We just going to use that as is. Yo, my grandma bumped this shit, bro. That ass. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Okay, so... Man, exciting. Episode 111 of the Art and BS Podcast. Art and Bullshit Podcast. Man, the myth, the legend. Um, world extravagant traveler. West Coast to the Far East. A beast with the mixed media. A sultan, you know what I'm saying, with these stencil line work. Uh, a A man who seems to be... I would, I mean, like when I'm looking at some of these joints, I'm like, it, it like I, I felt like he was the Archbishop of Abstract when I came up in here. But there's so many stories, so much um, f- 
fruit that comes from these these masterfully crafted pieces of art family man hold on y'all give a warm round of applause for michael garcia thank you everybody thank you james yeah thanks for having us in your studio it's a pleasure first time here and i'm really excited Mm -hmm. yeah me too me too um do you hear that or is that just me I hear a little bit of ticking. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I'm wondering. Oh, it's. We see. You know what happens is when you have 80 million chords crossed. <laughs> they want to do their own magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that—that's basically what happened. Okay. So, bang, we are here. We're tapped in like a tourniquet. So, first things first. We will put you through this artistic and BS Ninja Warrior obstacle course. Uh-oh. And then after that, you will come out with an imaginary degree and you will be part of the art and BS alumni. So, Michael, what was your first memory seeing art? Oh, geez. Uh, you know, that's a little bit difficult because I think that um, most men and women who are in the arts, uh, I've got this in their system at a very early age. So in my case, I'm drawing, painting, putting things together. I wasn't thinking in terms of an artist, just of this is something I need to do, something I want to do. I used to be at my grandmother's home, and we go out in the barn, and uh, that was just a bonanza of all kinds of things laying around and wanted to pick up and, and build something with them, some imaginary kind of a contraption. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe the barn was... Uh, the place where I would go. Of course, they would say, don't, be, don't go in there, don't touch that, don't mess with that stuff. Of course, that just means you gotta do it all the more. Right, right. So I started putting things together and uh, I think maybe, uh, maybe around six or seven, uh, this whole concept of an artist, yeah, that's what I wanna do. I remember I had a birthday party and you uh, make the wish uh, before you blow out the candles, and one of them, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't just going to wish for one thing and numerous things, but one of them mm-hmm. is I wanted to go to art school. Right. So already in early age, I thought that um, I needed to go someplace that was um, instructive mm-hmm. and be around people who sort of knew what I was after. Now, was this in the Central Valley? That's right. Yeah, I was born in Fresno. Uh, my mama's family is in Madeira, so we would come back and forth. We'd spend all our uh, summers in Madeira. Uh, my mom was a full-time worker, a single mom, so uh, daycare was an issue. So we'd stay with relatives here, and it was marvelous. Uh, mm. It was a different time. We run around, uh, don't even come in until it was late at night, and right. uh, barefoot and all that kind uh-huh. of stuff. Um, I loved it, and now I'm, I'm back here in Madeira again. Uh, just about two blocks from where the original homestead was. Mm. That was like in in the era of be inside before the street lights come yeah, on. That's a, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. We yeah. you know we'd have to tell them, hey, we're going to go over here. We're going to go swimming at the high school, whatever. Uh, as long as we told them what we're going to do, then they're expecting it's a particular time. Right. But yeah, when the lights go out, uh, you better be in this house. Mm-hmm. So well, and I it's. When I hear you say that, I hearken back to growing up, and I think of the level of a like um, 
the level of responsibility that that puts on a child and it allows them to actually leave and come back at a certain time like you you're giving them a lot of freedom absolutely in that and responsibility to, to stick to their word of okay here's our agreement you're going to be in before lights come on or you know boom so i'm glad you said that because it's it wasn't just a free-for-all mm-hmm. you did have uh, certain times and certain duties and and jobs and chores mm-hmm. you had to complete um so when you came home you weren't going to get bitched at because mm-hmm. you broke the rules right Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, you know, uh, Michael, my dad would always say, do what you have to do, then you can do what you want to do. That's it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. That's a great, uh, a great pop I like system. that. Mm-hmm. So now it, when I hear you talk about the barn, I'm like, whoa, I, I can see that seed and how it blossomed into a, a willow tree by looking at your work. Now, I think like, I, I'm wondering, do you think that being around that barn and that wood is something that you carried with you moving forward? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I look back at that barn or even my grandmother's home. It was built somewhere around the 1880s. Mm-hmm. Um, it never had a lick of paint. It was just a wooden shack, basically. When my grandfather got it, he added on lean-tos and put more rooms onto it. Mm-hmm. But it, it was sort of... A house almost like the rifleman if you look at those uh westerns and just uh it was just wooden planks mm. but they were weathered by the rain and by the hail and and the nails in there had all rusted up and you could see this ribbon of rust dripping down on the wood um this old things like that really i found attractive and i think maybe the connection because that was grandma's place mm. It was a place that was uh, safe and uh, wonderful, and uh, it was filled with all this old furniture and old equipment inside, uh, all usable. Mm-hmm. Why buy a new one when the old stuff still works? Right. But they, they were antiques. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, uh, right now, since I work on wood, um, I try to distress everything, make it look beat and uh, abused, uh, put on the paint and strip it off, burn it. Um, I used to work on uh, on canvas and paper. And one day I was going to an art store in Japan. That's where I lived for 10 years. And they had these wooden panels, and I had no idea what the hell they were used for. So I took some home, and I gessoed them like a wooded canvas and painted directly on them but what i really liked is that they were firm they weren't uh flexing like mm-hmm. a canvas was. right and i was already with the canvas scraping and burning of course you, you're limited because of the cloth with the wood uh no problems in fact exposing the wood um was sort of a, a accidental a surprise because now I exposed a lot of the wood sanding or tearing it down I wanted again wanted it to look like something was there and it's sort of erasing and and falling apart mm-hmm. so now how what year ish was this when you kind of made the the leap from canvas to more rigid surfaces oh uh well I was living in Japan from um uh 90 excuse me 1986 
to uh, 1996. So somewhere in the, uh, maybe about uh, 87 or 8, pretty early on, I found this wo uh, the wood, and then that just, uh, that absorbed me, that took me. And so I, I have canvas, I have paper, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the wood is really what I like to work on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you turn around the pieces in the show, many of them are brand new wood you would find in a hardware store. Uh, but uh, again, I try to make these things look um, old. And then the use of older wood that I find, I tore down my fence some years back and I've been using all the pickets and, and the planks on that. Mm -hmm. And also uh, the um, big trash days that the city has. That's a bonanza. There's all kinds of wonderful crap out there. I just get my truck and load up. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't cost a dime and... Um, it's reusing. I, I wasn't trying to be green, but, uh, you know, I'm repurposing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where I, most of my things uh, are coming from. Okay. So when you, when you were a kid, okay, so I'm just curious because you have a very unique way of making art, of looking at what goes into art and putting your own stories and experiences and having those directly influence your work. And I'm I, the thing that I always wonder is, did you always have that connection with your art or was that something that you developed over time? You know, I think that came with the wood for some reason. Uh, <clears throat> it allowed me um, so many um, possibilities, more than the uh, other traditional paper and canvas could. Um, most of the pieces, not all, but most mm -hmm. of them have some meaning behind it, a story. Right. And I'm, I look at it as maybe a sort of like my diary. Mm -hmm. So things that happened to me uh, or things that I saw or witnessed uh, somewhere down the line, it may come back up as, uh, as a work in wood with the paint. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, at the show I just had, um, I had 13 pieces out there. And I would imagine that uh, 10 of them had a direct story behind them. And I don't work figuratively. So if people see the piece, they're not going to see, oh, an apple on a table. Um, I do use symbols that are understood, uh, but it's, it's my story, and uh, it doesn't matter if they understand it. I'm hoping that they'll be uh, impressed by just the visuals when they come in. Uh, but if anyone is interested, uh, of course, I like to tell the story. It's sort of the icing on the cake. And uh, I, many people say, oh, that makes such a great difference to the piece already now. Yeah, yeah, it, it sure does. And icing on the cake is a great way to look at it. Uh, but it's, I would say they're the laces to the shoe. Like the story, uh, like that's the laces to the shoe because the, it just brings it together in a way that without I that. I like that, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true because with without that, uh, uh, people come up with their own idea about what I'm trying to say or what it means, and that's fine. That's fair enough. Uh, but if they, um, they want to know more, I'm willing to express that. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the thing is, and you guys, I had the pleasure of attending um, Michael's closing reception. And I'm this work, I, now be clear, 
there was a, uh, a email that I got from Fresno Arts Council and in that email there was a video of Michael's show that video did not do it it's like watching the Avengers movie on your iPhone like you just can't do it you have to go to the theater to see these movies so when I when I went to see the show these pieces I mean like they're huge they everything stands out everything has character and there's a I would say there's an attention to like not only detail but to texture that a lot of people may not actually even be thinking about um there are a few pieces that stood out but one thing because you know michael traditionally with this show i kind of like to do chronological like order you know like from the from then right. to now but we're we're all over the map and it's okay because we'll bring it back home um but my my question for you is um because the 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 first one that I asked you about was the the fish the was it trading fish for whiskey? Oh, that's right. Is that the title of that's the painting? That's right. Okay, yeah, that, and that one still sticks in my head. Now, um, <laughs> do, now, so how often do you do solo shows or art shows? Well, um, you know, COVID has uh, kicked everyone in the ass for a while, and mm -hmm. some people really significantly. I've uh, been aced out of. Uh, about three shows uh, because of that. Mm. I try to have uh, at least one show a year, a solo show. Uh, I just was asked to go into a, a group show in August, this August, so I'll, I'll throw some stuff into that. Uh, but the work is sort of time-consuming because I have to build all this stuff. It's in wood. And for me, the best time to uh, put all this together, at least the, the artwork, is in the summer here in um, in the Central Valley when it gets to a hundred plus degree heat, because I like to throw the wood out into the yard, heat it up, um, and then put on the oil and wax, and it actually just drinks it right into the wood because mm. of the heat. Um, you know, uh, some of the materials I use are pretty simple. I'm using house paint, oil, and wax. Um, and that would be about it. There's other things that I'm using, enamel uh, paint as well, but it's a pretty simple recipe, but it's one that I found uh, that worked for me, and um, I guess it's sort of like a garage artist. I was just using what was uh, available at the time. So... So when you say that that um, I'm over here trying to get get these, uh, I think I have a bad cord or something, Michael. That's why I think that taking is. Um, so it, it's it's wild to hear you say that the and I, and I get it. The optimal time, it, it like when you say it, it makes sense with the heat, the your materials, and that being the 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 best conditions now. Are there any parts of your process that you find are like it's more advantageous to do that during the winter? Well, I try to build all of the chassis or I call them chassis. I don't want to say frames because people mm -hmm. think of some kind of gold thing around mm -hmm. the, the art itself. I build all of that usually in the winter and spring uh, because the, the uh, materials won't dry as fast as I'd like. 
you know, with the high humidity, sometimes it, it'll be tacky for a, a week or more, depending on, on the, uh, the materials. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, summertime, uh, within a half hour, we're ready to go to the next step. Right. So, yeah, I'm working all the time, but uh, it's mostly building the, um, the stretcher bars or the, the, the canvas, if you want to say that, mm-hmm. uh, in, in getting ready for the, for the uh, summer. That's the cool part about being an artist is there's so much that goes into it. We often, a lot of times there's the illusion that just the painting is the work, but if you're making your own, like you said, your chassis or if you're priming your own panels or these things are all, uh, or if you're just going out on trash day to get pieces of wood for your next body of work, these things are all, uh, that's all, a hat that we wear and it's it's wild to hear you actually talk about like okay i have this part set aside for the winter because just the it's it just works better with my workflow you know and i think after doing it for now how long have you been when did you what at okay so hold on because i was going to ask you what age did you decide to make the the jump to being an artist, but I think that that would kind of be um, unfair because I want to ask the question: What made you originally move to Japan? Well, well, that's that goes even further back. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother took me to uh, San Francisco when I was about seven or eight. We did all the touristy things: Fisherman's Wharf, mm-hmm. cable cars. Um, but then we ended up in Chinatown, and I was blown away. I had never been in an environment like that with, with the sights, the smells, the the sounds, the writing. I mean, it was um, cosmic, mm. and I didn't think in those terms, but I mean, mm-hmm. it just it was all of the stuff that was so alive mm-hmm. and exciting. So I found a piece of newsprint on the ground, mm-hmm. and I had that as a treasure for many years. My friends would come to the house and go, "Look at this writing! Unbelievable!" You know, I'm I'm having trouble reading. Uh, and writing in ABCs, and these guys are reading this stuff. It was, you know, unbelievable. So it first scratched me about that time. Mm. Then many years later, and of course I had an appreciation for uh, things uh, Asian, uh, at that time predominantly Chinese. Uh, Years later, I... um, to help pay tuition, I was going to Kell Arts, and I had to pay tuition. So, uh, so I hitchhiked up to Alaska from Fresno. It took me 10 days to get to Anchorage mm. and uh, got a job up there in a cannery. And most of those canneries are um, have real strong connections with Japanese um, fisheries. So uh, once again, the calligraphy comes up. Uh, uh, a lot of Japanese technicians, everyone's speaking in Japanese. And I was thinking, man, I got to learn Japanese. I got to get over there and, and check this place out. And for a few years, I'm trying to gather the money. And how the hell can I get over there? And my uh, dear gray-haired mother said, well, why don't you call your uh, contact your Uncle Louie? He's stationed right outside of Tokyo. I didn't even think of that. Mm. So I wrote a letter say, Louie, I'm thinking about coming into Japan. Do you think I could stop in once in a while? Absolutely. So I was there, and I would uh, stay there for uh, two, three, four days, do my laundry, um, 
and take care of business, rest, map out where I'm going to go, and then take off. Take off for about a week and then come back. My idea was that this is a one-in-a-lifetime deal. I most likely will never come back here again. So I'm trying to go hit all the spots that I know of from uh, history or from, uh, from the war. I mean, most Americans know very little about Japan, and, and things that happened in the war seem to be the focal point mm-hmm. of where they go. Mm-hmm. So I went as far south as I could to Nagasaki. Okay. And in the far north, which was uh, Wakanai, uh, mm-hmm. the northern, uh, northern island of, of Hokkaido. Okay. Did you get a chance to like roll through where Nobunaga was kicking it? Like, yo, man. Oh yeah, sure, sure. You know, I was trying to go to all the historic places Mm -hmm. and ancient capitals. Yeah. You know, so you go to uh, Kyoto or um, uh, Nara, Mm -hmm. and of course Hiroshima and Nagasaki as well. You know, uh, not only just ancient Japanese history, but more modern or contemporary world history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay, so then, so did, now here's the question: Did you write them like T.O. Louis? Like, did you say hey, T.O. Louis? Did you hit them up with T.O. Louis? <laughs> no, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much that. You know, he's <laughs> well. You know, he he was a lifer in the Air Force, mm. and um, they stationed him at Yokota at this particular point, y- mm-hmm. y- Yokota Air Base outside of Tokyo. And yes, sir, certainly come on over. He was there, his wife and uh, three kids. And um, once you're on base, I mean, you're technically in the United States now, and uh, things are proportioned like American buildings and American this and that. Mm. You step outside of the gates and, you know, boom, there's a definite difference. Here. Right. Okay, so now what part of your artistic journey were you in when you went over to Tokyo or like just Japan, that whole stretch of like going through Japan? Well, I still had one more year at school. And so what I took from the Alaskan experience, uh, I was just drawing uh, large sheets of paper, about Mm -hmm. six feet long uh, with a colored chalk pastel. I was doing fish because I had been working with fish all summer long, millions and millions of fish going by all the time. So I thought I would um, make all these very colorful fish, and I started using Japanese calligraphy. Mm-hmm. That's when it, re- when it first started coming into my artwork. Okay. And um, again, I, I was just trying to dig up any kind of translation books at the library at school or different, uh, different places, um, and that was a, a bit difficult. I had no teacher, no one to help me on this. So I was just trying to um, do the best I could. Mm-hmm. I have to remember, this is not my culture. And I don't want to um, make a fool of myself or insult anybody. So I was trying very hard to make sure that I was saying the right thing. Uh, and I do that to this day. Um, I used to put things down because, oh, that's a beautiful-looking Chinese or Japanese um, writing or calligraphy, and not knowing its meaning. I just like the the black and the white. Visual aesthetic. Absolutely. You know, and then I find out, well, that means bloody pig's head. You better not use that or something. You know, so, uh, you know, okay, lesson learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having respect for the culture, 
the, the due diligence before you're using those those motifs or the 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 language within your work also it enhances the message that you're trying to get across absolutely it does because now i have to do the research or find the help to make sure i'm doing this right mm -hmm. and um i'm trying i when i was there i went to three different schools to um to learn or to study uh calligraphy mm. um not so much that I wanted to be a calligrapher in Japanese, but I wanted to um, learn some of the tricks so I could apply that to my art. Right. So different things going on there. Um, you know, I went to a school in Nagoya and then uh, a couple other ones in uh, in Toyota where I lived. But uh, I felt it was important that I do this, um, again, to apply it to my artwork. I, I want it to be correct not insulting makes sense but at the same time uh uh attractive because i think calligraphy is just beautiful oh yeah for they, they i mean japan and china really have the world on lock when it comes to that you know they do mm -hmm. and but you know if you show it to somebody from there that's just the everyday writing mm. and you come over here and no one knows what the hell it says but they appreciate the um the the view the, mm -hmm. the the vision that you put out there right because it like you got in and the, your sensei was like okay listen there's hiragana there's katakana there's kanji like yes they're not the same yeah and you shouldn't mix them up <laughs> or if you do you got to make sure you know what you're doing right right mm -hmm. yeah so now the okay so I get this is a great place to be in, in the story of Michael Garcia because I kind of want to go back because you talked about living in Alaska in the fishing town. And earlier on, you know, because in the episode we talked about the the trading whiskey for fish um, piece that you did. Now, how large was that? Oh, geez. I think that was about four by uh, four by three, maybe. Some, okay. Some along. Mm-hmm. It was uh, sitting on the wall on uh, on the vertical, mm -hmm. sort of like a poster. Yeah. Yeah, I was living in a, a village called Chignik. It's a fishing village that mm. has a population at that time about 74 people. But when salmon season comes um, with the Japanese technicians, Filipino workers, and students from the lower 48 in Alaska, within two weeks' time, that balloons up to 1,500 people. Mm. Uh, it's exciting. It's like a Western boom town. Mm. It's exciting. It also has its problems because things are just expanding that fast. And um, and I was there. I was working there. And uh, it's a dry town, dry village. Even though there's a lot of booze all around, it's still still uh, sort of illegal to have that. A lot of problems uh, from the alcohol, so they just decided to curb that. But I was with friends and we're working very hard and, uh, you know, I'd like to have something to drink and love to love a beer. And I looked out in the harbor and there's all these Japanese ships that are collecting the the salmon and taking that back to Japan. And I mm -hmm. said, those guys got to have whiskey on board. Let's go over there and see if we can get whiskey from. So make a long story short, I had a small Japanese um, translation book, you know, like... Uh, how do I get to the hotel and call the police or something like that? Right. And I 
paste up a couple of sentences together, and we took the skiff out to the ship. They could see us coming. They came out of the wheelhouse and looking down at us. And I just, uh, I made my uh, pronunciation, I mean, I just told them in my broken Japanese, uh, we want whiskey, we give you fish. And they all started laughing, but they said yes. So we went back and we fished uh, for a couple of weeks. We packed up 100 pounds of fish for them mm. and brought it over there, gave it to them, and then they dropped down nine bottles of Suntory whiskey. So success. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished in the dry village. Right? So was it like gold when you came back with the nine oh, bottles? Oh, yeah. Well, there were several people helping me do this, mm. you know, butchering the fish and, right, and cleaning so. them. So, yeah. So everyone got a bottle, and mm. uh, I got a couple because I was the uh, the father of exactly. this uh, trick, and uh, it was a wonderful thing. You were like Hannibal in the A-Team. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm, I hear it. And that and that's a great story, and the fact that it it resonated so heavily that it influenced that 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 painting. Yeah, I don't know. Like, would you know? Would you call that a pain, painting, or what would you? I don't know what you would call uh, that. You know, because it's not really a painting. It's not it's like really a mixed painting. Media I mean, I use paint, I use yeah. a brush, but it's not really a painting, right? And it's so. sort of pseudo sculpture because it pops out of the wall, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to come up with a proper term for that. Right, yeah. Because you know? it's like, I mean, your work is, and but that's the tightest part, Michael, though, is like when you can't even define it, but it's just like you love it, but you can't define it. You know, and that's, I mean, that's a, a lane in its own. Well, I was calling them wall hangings, but nah, that's no fun. Yeah, you got to no. come something better. Yeah, exactly. Because they, I, I feel like that doesn't, that's an inadequate representation or, um, you know, uh, and an accurate description of what you're making. But yeah, okay, so boom, that happens. And then now, when you went to Japan, because I know we had talked about this, um, that one, you had a piece that was like vermilion at the top. Oh, yes, yes, And then yes. it was kind of like the black, or was it like brown at the it bottom? It was black. Uh, okay. Sleeping inside the temple gates. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So now, can you talk a little bit? Because I I want you to tell a story. But can you talk about what went into making that piece? Well, it's um, <clears throat> it's a combination of wooden dowels and a rope and canvas. Mm. And what I did is, um, I drilled holes on my table, and then I put the uh, wooden dowels in the holes. Mm -hmm. So think of it as a uh, upside down comb, mm. and all of the. Uh, Okay. The sticks are sticking up there. And then I had just regular uh, twine or sisal um, or laundry line, whatever, whatever I get, and just start weaving in and out and nodding here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that piece was maybe about um, five or six by three. I can't re recall. That now. seems about right. Um, once that was totally we uh, woven... Uh, then I, uh, applied gesso. I painted the whole thing with gesso, uh, because of that sort of hard, chalky nature of the gesso that would help sort of, um, firm up the piece because it was a little bit floppy right. at the very beginning. Uh, then after that, then, um, go to the recipe. I'm just using house paint, nothing 
Uh, I'm not a purist. I'm not using uh, fine art products. I'm using house paint. I painted it black on the bottom and in um, this sort of a burnt vermilion on top. Uh, those colors were selected because uh, when you go into a, a Shinto shrine, the, the, the tori or the gate, and many of them have a black bottom on the post and the rest of it is that color. So mm. that represents the, um, the temple gates. I was told when I was um, traveling Mm-hmm. that uh, if you um, don't make a mess and you're very quiet, you could go to the uh, temple grounds, and they're usually filled with large trees and bushes and stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe you could sleep in the bushes. And I was on, with a backpack um, on a budget. Japan's extremely expensive. So a few times I would go in there and sleep in the bushes, you know, I pull out my sleeping bag and sleep there, and I get up early in the morning before the priest got out there. And I was told later, no, that's not a good idea. But I did it anyway. <laughs> but while I was there, I felt, you know, I'm I'm in the temple grounds. Mm-hmm. I'm protected. Mm-hmm. You know, no yeah. one's gonna hurt me. And so uh, that's what the piece was all about: mm. sleeping inside the temple gates. And because it's sort of this stick and weaving, it sort of looks more like a a doormat and so maybe that was the entrance way my doormat through the gate um but again uh house paint and then i put oil on that so it would darken up the paint and any exposed wood would turn dark Mm. and then once that was dried then i would uh, apply the wax and just lay it out in the sun, and of course the sun will melt that very evenly. Yep, yeah, that's letting the sun do the work for you. Yeah, solar that. power. Hey. So uh, we, we've talked, we've been all over the map, Michael. So we, had, we got a lot of art talking, but let's switch to the BS for okay. a second, okay? Because <clears throat> this is the, you know... Art and Bullshit Podcast. So you have a chance to host a poker game or a dinner party with five people dead or alive. Who are these five people? Mm. Well, I'll go for the dinner party first. Okay. I'm not much of a poker player. Um, dead or alive. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a friend of mine who just passed away last year, and uh, his name is uh, Professor Hal Slowick. I think that would be great. He's, I met him in Japan. He worked at I.G. Coxon University, and he turned me on to the job that I had and I had for, for the 10 years. Um, a marvelous, beautiful man, and um, he should be at the dinner. Plus, he was an excellent cook, so he'll be in the kitchen, not me. <laughs> Five. Let's okay. see who else. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, a trick question here. I'm trying to think. Five people. I'm wasting time. Yeah, they're alive, time. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that makes it kind of the the field is open to however you want to, whoever you would want to invite. Well, I'd like to invite uh, Kerry Grice. He's a good friend of mine. Um, he's helped try to promote my work down in the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to school with him at Kell Arts. Um, 
And the friendship is, well, he's, he's my brother. Let's put it that way. Uh, he should be there. He's witty. He's funny. Um, opinionated. And uh, he could be at the table making good conversation. Okay. That's two. Okay. Uh, let's see. Some someone who's handsome or beautiful. Let's <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. Well, you gotta have the visuals, you know. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let's see. Mm, Jackson Pollock. Okay, that'll be a good one. I I um. As a kid, I looked at his work, and I would look at that Chinese paper of mine, and I would, I would see like, hey, this is sort of the same thing. It's a sort of the same deal. We're talking about uh, this black and white and, and mm -hmm. spatial things. Um, it was his own calligraphy, and um, uh, I've always liked his work, and um, I'll have him there. Two more. Mm hmm. Yep, two more. Two more. I'm wasting time here. It's okay. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, a, a, a gentleman I met on the, on the Trans Siberian Railroad, his name is Sergei. He was uh, in charge of my coach, and he would bring his tea every day uh i had a couple of bottles of whiskey whiskey with me and um i was told i was in japan at the time when i was making uh, my arrangements for this trip and i was reading the paper and at that time gorbachev was running the show mm. and the um trans-siberian was having just a shitload of problems being late wrecks people drunk mm -hmm. so he said forget it we're not selling booze on the train anymore. Wow. So I said, man, I'm going on that train. I can't go out, something to drink. So I took a case of beer and two bottles of whiskey. And one night I went to Sergei's office, knocked on the door. He looked at me surprised. Then I showed him the bottle. He looked both ways down the hallway. Then he pulled me in. And we just started uh, cheersing about all kinds of things. We talked about politics. We talked about Russia. We talked about uh, America without knowing e either language. Wow. It was great. It was a marvelous time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then another person came in, and he also worked on the train, so he also had some more whiskey. I tell you, that bottle opened all kinds of doors on that train. Wow. And he was a real nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so Sergey will be on there. Yeah, shouts to Sergey. And uh, last one. I'll have my uh, nephew Pete. He's a drummer, and he's in about four different bands. Um, I select him because I brought his older brother to Japan years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, and I tried to get him to come, but he was too young at the time. And so now I've been saying, we got to go back to Japan, uh, and I want to take you. But now with COVID, things are going on. So I'd like him to come 
and meet some of these other people who know about Japan and um, uh, just um, and well, if he's, he's a drummer, he can start um, playing some tunes or something mm, while, the, right. while the food's being cooked. Wow, all the bases covered. Okay, yeah, and I appreciate that. I'm sure the family is going to get a real kick out of hearing your your dinner party guest list. Oh, they're going to be pissed off that I didn't pick them. Yeah, (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever said that, but yeah, okay, we're going to roll with that. So now, Michael, I'm curious, can you talk about like your first ever solo show? My first solo show was in Japan. Well, Mm. well, hold on, let me uh, let me um, amend that. Of course, when I was in school at Arts, I had to have a, a solo show for my for a graduation, a graduation show. Uh, but the but uh, that that was sort of mandated. I had to do that. Mm-hmm. The first show uh, solo show that I uh, did was in Japan. Uh, what I really liked about Japan and its culture is that the arts are are there. They're present. They've got a, a society that. Um, that uh, appreciates the arts. And so uh, if you go to a department store in a big city, the top floor of the department store will be a gallery. Whoa. It's unbelievable. Uh, just like wow. every major store has a gallery on top. Who? I mean, wouldn't that be great? You had something like yeah, that Yeah, that would be great. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go to Penny's, go to Sears or right. something. And there's, there will be a gallery there. Because I, I think the only place that does that is Saks Fifth. That's the only okay. place that I know of that has like a you gallery. See? And over there, it's a standard. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was this one department store that uh, this was in the basement, not on the top floor. Mm. And they had four galleries, all uh, painted nice, good lighting. And you can rent it mm. and have do whatever you want. So every year I would have solo shows there. You know, I... Uh, organized um paid for it brought in the work mm-hmm. put it up advertised and had the show there and and it was all just me doing this thing mm, no no team okay so how long were you working on the the actual body of work for the exhibition no, before that's, the show jeez that's uh, that's a difficult one because sometimes uh, I'm working on maybe three or four pieces at a time. Right, but at that point, like, you know, right I, out of Kellogg. I would say maybe uh, in Japan, maybe mm-hmm. uh, for that show, maybe about nine months to mm-hmm. get something together. Okay. And there'd be maybe about 15 to 20 pieces. Mm. Uh, I, I used to work faster. I'm slowing down a little bit. Also, I'm getting uh, uh, corralled by all the work around here, mm-hmm. so I have less... Uh, table space to put things together right right yeah because i mean you guys this uh, michael's workshop studio it's like a combination because it's not just a it's not just a studio it's literally like i mean he has all of this stuff going on at once it's you have pieces that are you know they're wrapped up and 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 cloth ready to to go somewhere looking like they 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 stay and protected you have pieces <laughs> that are companions to other pieces you have things that he's just working into um because yeah we uh oh yeah shouts to jason graham he spoke he should be around here somewhere he's supposed to come for the uh 
interview and that, that nigga disappeared. So shout out to Jason Graham. But we were talking about um, while while you were out, Michael, we were admiring, you know, that piece of redwood that you have with the gold under it. And just all of these different, uh, we can't call them wall hangs. Like we'll just call them works of art. All these different works of art. Uh, they have like different color palettes. You know, I mean, you go from this saturated red. Now, hold on. Can you talk about this piece really quick? Uh, sure. The, um, uh, the title uh, comes from a quote by Woody Allen. And I don't have that with me. But basically mm -hmm. it says, I, I'm astonished by people who want to know the universe when it's hard enough to get around Chinatown. Mm. And so I have the guy there, he's sort of uh, questioning or wondering, pondering. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the writing on there is just repeated over and over, Chinatown. Oh, wow. And then I, I, I used to, well, I used to use a lot of red in my work. Uh, this last show only had one piece in red. Uh, and so it's all was painted over in red and then was all scraped off, mm. leave, leaving that kind of a... Uh, cloudy kind of a look on it. Right. And then the wood you see on the bottom, uh, when I came back uh, to California, uh, certainly the Central Valley, I'm trying to find materials um, that I could use. And you use the materials in your environment. So uh, I've been using uh, grape stakes. A lot of the... Uh, Farmers around here in the Central Valley as well um, have been pulling up their grapes so they can plant almonds. Mm. You know, um, a, a, a big money investment. But they had all these grape stakes laying around, mountains of them, and they can't burn them and cost them money to take them place. So I would just get the truck and load them all up. So uh, I would use grape stakes as part of the um, the. Um, look you know it has more tactile kind of a it's not just flat wood right and it the thing is i like how on the the bottom like i don't know if it's the the bottom third or the bottom fourth of the painting or the, the this work you just let the image breathe like there's this wood there's a section and you guys i'll take a picture of it so you can see it but there's like an image and then there's just this space this open space that's beautifully crafted and it just feels like you you're allowing your work to not completely dominate the entire um, substrate that you're using. You can kind of move it around and then really shift the viewers, uh, the, their eye into where you want it to be. Thank you. I, I, that was part of uh, what's going on. Someone asked me a long time ago, what, what, what is that all about? Why? Mm -hmm. And, um, I was uh, at a loss, and I had to start thinking about where did that come from? And the only thing I can remember, and it is something I do remember, uh, uh, the uh, roadside uh, signs on a highway, mm. and you would go by, and whether selling whatever product. Mm -hmm. But underneath, they used to have all those kind of, uh, mm, I can't, la like lattice work okay. underneath. Uh, and as a kid, I thought it was all one piece. I thought that lattice work and the uh, advertisement were all one, when really that lattice work was just sort of little pretties on the sign, so you didn't see the legs of the uh, right. of the sign. 
uh, post. Um, and I think that was it. I was These two different things, for me, worked together. There was no separation. They were together. They were one. So I think that's where it's coming from. Because, mm. uh, again, uh, everything that is um, tattered or worn, uh, of tactile in nature, that comes from my grandmother's home and the barn and just right. seeing these structures um, in some form of uh, distress. The barn was decay. <laughs> so Okay, so moving forward... Um, now that but one last question about that initial show in Japan what were some takeaways that you that you got from it cuz you know like there's always the things that we kind of take away Well one is that um the Japanese could read what I was writing that's mm. the the big one if I write stuff over here uh, people like it just because it's something foreign uh, it's alien. They like uh, the design factor, but they can't read it. So I, I, I tell them, of course. But in Japan, they could read everything I was doing. So their question was already going, what do you mean by that? Mm. And I you know, try to explain <coughs> excuse me, what I had in mind. But that would be the, the greater takeaway. Um, and I met some people... We were talking about this, and he says, oh, you, you use this calligraphy. You put the calligraphy in your artwork. And says, mm-hmm. he, uh, we in Japan do not consider that art. And uh, I was um, surprised because calligraphy is like almost a, a national um, art form. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was sort of surprised that he said that. Um, but again, he could read what I was saying, and some of that might have been, and these works were a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, taken from advertisements, but I was had a certain meaning behind it. So that's, if it came from an advertisement, it's certainly not art, mm-hmm. but maybe the way it was done and how it was used. So yeah, I'm letting Jason know, like, hey man, like, I thought he he disappeared. I hope he didn't, he didn't get kidnapped. Um, so it it sounds to me like that was really the catalyst for looking at your work in in that in that light, and then being able to explain like, hey, this is a this is a story that went with this piece. This is because the way that you explain your artwork presently, when I hear that story, I'm like, wow, okay. These guys are in here, and they're they're able to read the kanji, the hiragana, so mm-hmm. they can question you on a deeper level. A so different then, level, yes. So off top, you were explaining your work on a deep level. Uh, you're very different. Over there, I had mm-hmm. to sort of explain and sort of <laughs> legitimize what I was doing. Uh, over here, um, I'm just telling the story behind mm-hmm. it. Uh but that's where it started uh, in Japan. People, I had to go by piece by piece mm-hmm. and explain what's going on, and and I don't do that here the same way. But if someone asks about something, I'm there. Mm-hmm. I will talk to you. In fact, maybe I'll get a little louder and a little more animated in hopes that other people will come around, so I don't have to say it so many times. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I enjoy that part of it. 
I I have no problem with telling the story on it. Yeah, that's. I love that. I love all of that. I mean, because when we when we got to your your wonderful home, we got a chance to ask about some work that was just in your home chilling. And uh, one, the, the first one that stood out to me was how you had the car door just mounted up. And we'll post a picture of this stuff, you guys, so you can see the artwork. And I, I will tell you, whenever uh, Michael has a show, because we I, I posted the, the flyer a few times, if you guys can get out and see his work in person, it is totally worth it because the photos are, they're nice, but they just don't give you that sense of like scale and the the actual precision, like being able to actually walk around something and look and see it from different angles with your own eyes is always gonna give you a more intimate experience. So if you're in the Central Valley or wherever Michael's showing uh, in August, you definitely wanna pull up for that one. Mm. So boom! Now was that was it one show in Japan and then you came back to the states? No, or how did that? no, I was there for ten years. Okay, and so I uh, I had had um, uh, three solo shows. Mm. I put those up, and okay. then then the others were uh, I was always in um, several group shows. The mm-hmm. uh, they had the United Nations um, uh, International Center in Nagoya. And they always had the shows there, so I always participated in that. And in my hometown of Toyota, where mm-hmm. they um, were headquarters for the car, um, they had their city shows, and I always show there. So mm. two shows a year, and if I did my solo, then it would be three. Mm. But, you know, I, um, I was working in Alaska before that, and I was working on ships or in small villages and working hard, you know, 15 hours a day. So it didn't leave much time to do any kind of artwork. Uh, there were the off hours or the off days, and, you know, you're doing sketches or drawing. Mm-hmm. But uh, not all that fulfilling because you really wanted to put your energy into this, and it's like, oh, I got to get to work. Right. So once I got to Japan and secured a job, um, Boy, there, I had plenty of time. Uh, I built a studio, or I rented a room, and then I was able to rent the room next to it and got permission to tear out the wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, at the other room, I rented three rooms. One was a studio, one was my living space. And um, I, I didn't have to work until 10 in the morning, but I worked until night at night. Um, I had time to do work and um, I enjoyed that so much. This is the first time that I was um, living that dream. I want to be an artist. I want to do this and um, work and everything else is in the way. You know, I um, I was stretching a canvas. This is before I got on the wood, stretching mm-hmm. a canvas in one of the room in the in studio. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, before I stretch this on the stretcher bar, I'm going to see if this will fit out the door. And it wouldn't fit out the door. Uh-huh. And it wouldn't fit out the window. So, you know, son of a bitch, this thing, the size of the building is going to dictate what the art is like. Wow. You know, I was really disappointed by that. But 
uh, I'm glad I didn't stretch the canvas. So I just sawed the stuff in half and made smaller pieces. Mm. That's when it, when I built my uh, studio here, uh, I made sure that there was a garage door. Okay. You know. <laughs> You know, so if there's something large, I can get it out of here. Mm, I hear that. That's yeah. That's a definite because I'd never thought about there being smaller doors over there. Well, and then, you know, well the piece was just that big. Mm -hmm. It was a standard size door, but the piece was too large. And then there was a curve in the corner, and it's just not. Nah, it's not going to work. Right, man. So now, was that because I know you had the. Uh, the stu studio Janaka, that was actually w in its infancy during that time, or how did that all come about? Well, I had, um, you mean Club Janaka? Club Janaka, yeah. Uh, Club Janaka was, uh, that was an after-hours party house. Mm. And so I just changed things around and put a big mirror ball up, and we had plenty of booze. And um, in a small space, we get maybe about 50 people in there dancing and uh, um it's on weekends, so I just threw all these futons on the ground, and all gangs of people would just spend the night. It was almost sort of like a, a high school sleepover, um, but with um, adult intentions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. So Club Janaka came came of that. Mm -hmm. I got the name from the people who were coming there. I lived in Janaka Cho, and it is a district in Toyota City, and it's a district that has all the nightclubs, mahjong parlors, pachinko, mm. the best best ramen house in the town, and so mm -hmm. it was a big party place. A lot okay. of yakuza gangster guys there. Dang. So they just named my place Club. Junaka because every all these other clubs were there. Gotcha. And that's how the the name stuck, and I still use it for other things going around. The kick it spot, and then now it's become, yeah. It's like you you took something. It's like when they give a kid a nickname, and then he it's like okay, you're Little Wayne, and then like no, now I'm really like you've because I don't think like Club Janaka when you had futons and you're passing them around. At that point, did you did you? see yourself because doing art is one thing but understanding like one day i can have a warehouse and i can work out of essentially my backyard so i'm i'm just chilling and i can do a show you know once a year and have i mean have a bunch of red dots slapped up at that point in time did you did you see the trajectory uh yes mm. I knew that uh, I wanted to build my studio for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those kind of things that you just sketch out all the time. It's going to be this big and two-story or big windows or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I had that in mind for a long time. Uh, the Club Janaka part, well, that name just stuck. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. But, you know, when I left Japan, that was it. Uh, but I opened up a small gallery in Fresno right next to Tokyo Garden. And we had that for two years. And... It was with two other friends of mine, Jeff Spock and Michael Phillips, who are a photographer and um, uh, a ceramist. Mm. And uh, what do we call it? What kind of name? And I says, well, you know, I got a neon sign at home. We could use that. It says Club Janaka on it. So we just put that on, and that's how we use the name, Club Janaka. Uh, it doesn't say gallery or art or anything, but that was the name. And since then, I just... Um, Anything Club Janaka has to do with me and my work or my art or what. 
So those uh, while we're kind of on the subject, you at your show you had now what type of paper were those prints on that you uh, had on the table? Well, uh, the it was um, mashed mul- mulberry, and if you hold it up, you could feel the um, the grit in the chunks of wood and stuff in there. They're Josh paper, and I got them in Chinatown in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And these papers are used at at um, uh, funerals, and mm-hmm. you would burn this, and the smoke goes up to heaven, and now these guys have money to spend. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, money. So I got those papers. I said, man, I could do something with these. These are nice. They looked all tattered and beat and stuff. So one day I was just stamping stuff around, and I thought, well, this show's coming up in New Year's. It's a New Year's show. I'll just put stuff on there that said Happy New Year and a variety of different things. And I uh, just use that paper. Mm-hmm. So now is that what it says? I was curious. Each of them had like a red stamp. And I was curious about the meaning of oh, that. Oh, the red stamp. No, that was Japanese. That uh, is a seal that, uh, that the Japanese use during the um, holiday season. Um, uh, saying, you know, good luck or a Happy New Year. But it's a... Uh, it was a combination of Japanese and Chinese writing that I put on, on mm, those things. I like it. Okay. Yeah. It's a sort of a salutations, you know, good mm-hmm. luck, and I uh, hope to see you soon, prosper and stuff. So those that's what the red stamps were. Okay. Yeah, that was, I, I had to, you were like, take one, I took three. I was like, man, I need to. How dare I, you? <laughs> no, no, no. There, there's... There, there, as many as you want, you know. Oh man, yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, the the quality was definitely. I'd never felt paper like that, so that's what I was like. Okay, I have to ask about this because there's something to this paper. It was rough, you know. It's it's a, a really cheap or low level paper, and it was just you know they're gonna burn it anyway. That's mm. what that was all about. But mulberry uh, paper like that. Uh, Real big in Japan, uh, I believe, also in Korea and um, in China as well. You know, just just bring in the um, the tree, the bark, the limbs and stuff, and just pound it, and um, then you wash it, the fibers. Mm-hmm. But this is um, uh, they're not trying to be real pure with this. It's not a nice smooth white paper. It's not bleached. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of very raw. And, like the rest of the stuff I sort of hoped it looked like just uh, again it's more of a tactile nature to the whole thing yeah it, it had a, these prints you guys they had like a, a weathered feel to them but the ink was like just fresh and crispy but like the, the edges might be a little torn here or there they were really nice um, so yeah yeah just some uh, refrigerator art to pass out for the new year yeah you, yeah, you definitely. I mean, I've seen them in frames already. So, I mean, like, those things are definitely. Yeah, man. Like, hey, word around the campfire. We, you know, they, they say, hey, I got I got mine in frames. And I'm like, dude, all I got was the skulls. Like, we, you know, because we, we a, a lot of times, like, as artists, it's like trading cards. You know, like, yes. when someone gets yes. a piece or a gift from a, a great artist, we're all showing our trading cards. You know, like, hey, I got this. Oh, you got that. Oh, man, I got. And then it's like. You know, I'm seeing these these super rare Pikachu cars. I'm like, whoa, he had like these because you had the fly on one, yeah, right? Fly, and then you had uh, was it Buddha on that? Buddha one? I had a couple of different Buddhas on there. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, one with a face, and then one was uh, the total uh, sitting down, 
that was the medicine Buddha. I figure mm-hmm. everyone needs some kind of uh, assistance here and there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, other stamps that were saying uh, sacrifice and um, uh, good health, good luck, um, happy new year. Um, uh, it was just having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the show was complete. I was just waiting for the day to deliver it. So I just keep myself busy. Yeah. That's now is the show that you're planning. If you can talk about it, the one in August, the group show that you're going to be a part of, is that in Fresno? Uh, it'll be at uh, uh, the Fig Tree Gallery. Ooh, okay. They they, um, they do this every year. They have their um, their clientele, or they're not clientele. They have the uh, members, mm-hmm. members of of the uh, Fig Tree, and the members ask someone that they like to show. Oh wow! So the work will not be by fig tree artists. It's uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the artwork of of people that they appreciate. Oh, that's a great idea. So two pieces, and um, everyone puts up two pieces and see how that goes. But uh, it's nice to be asked. Always nice to be asked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that I think that that's really nice too. In that way you can keep your stress levels low because you only have to do two pieces. Absolutely, yeah, that's true. You know, I'm, I want to get back to the uh, downtown um, artist gallery again. This year is all full up, so uh, I'm looking at next year, picking mm. a date and see if I could do that. Uh, I had a great time at that gallery. It's, it's large. Uh, the larger pieces that I had were able to breathe I've put some large pieces in smaller places, and they look fine, but they're confined at the same time, you know. And mm-hmm. this this had just a broad, broad wave of walls, so uh, I I like that place, and I see if I can repeat some of the same things. Um, so that I I have got to have at least uh, fifteen pieces for that show. Uh, the August one will be um, an easier thing, two pieces, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, after this interview, uh, I've got to start cleaning up the studio. That's the main thing. You know, I used to have three tables, three areas to be working on. Oh wow! And yeah. they've, they've just uh, have, over time, have, I've got the saws and other mm-hmm. uh, things that need to, that need to be there. Right. But they're taking up the space. So. Shout out to the miter saw. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I gotta, I gotta make it so I can do. Like I said earlier, I, sometimes I'm doing uh, three, four, or five pieces at a time. Uh, that's when I had the spaces. Now mm. I'm it's here, you know. I got to throw stuff outside. Right. Yeah. Because when we walked up to the to the studio, you had all this wood outside. I'd be like, when Jason and I drove into your driveway, the first thing you see is like this weathered wood in the sun, like soaking up sun rays. And it's just like, okay, we're here. Like we like we're here, you know. <laughs> and um it, it's it is it's you're at the point where it's kinda you're bursting out the seams. But I think that my my question for you is like with with what you've completed so far, do you think that you'll take two of those pieces for the August show or are you gonna create something from scratch? I think I'm gonna put a new piece. I, I have one piece that I really like that was shown once and that's it mm. and uh, it's been in the house or in the garage collecting dust so i think i'd like to put that piece in there and so i'll, I'll make a new one i think that's what i'm saying right now 
uh, for the show. You know, one is one is mine and one one for sale. Um, uh, but that that won't be a difficult one. I'm just um, I'm interested to see who the other guys and uh, the other men and women they've selected. Right. So, okay, my next question for you is when you when you're making artwork, is it is it a thing where it's solely dictated on your experience or have you ever had a collector who's like, "Hey, I like this piece of work you did. Can you make me something like that?" Well, uh commission work. I need commission work. Sure. I I need to do that. Uh, but I've had some um, bad experiences with commission work, mm. and it sort of puts me off a little bit. Um, I had uh, one gentleman who has about three of my pieces, so he knows my work, he knows how I work, and he wanted something else. So I said, great. And he said, yeah, I want something like this and that. All right, I worked on it, and I finished it. Uh, I said, well, come on over and check it out and he came over and he says um well um could you add this uh we've moved this sofa around want maybe some color like this and i really didn't like doing that and luckily i hadn't put the oil and wax on yet so i said okay i can do that mm -hmm. then uh, a week he comes back and he says you know my dog died. I was wondering if you could put the uh, Japanese symbol for dog in there. And, uh, you know, I should have said forget it. But I was trying to accommodate him, and uh, I said, okay. I did that. Then he comes back two weeks later bringing these candlesticks. And he says, I, see how these candlesticks got this kind of color? I was wondering if you could put, you know. So I just, I had to say no. I'm mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm I'm already hating this project. Yeah. So here's your money, mm -hmm. and that was a sting because I've already used that. Money. Right, right. You know, it's it's an even deal, but I know it, it feels like I just had to go into my bank and and take my money. You know, facts. He didn't get it. He was sort of shocked and and, and hurt by that. But I says, you know, I can't work this way. Uh, you telling me one next week add this and add this and do I don't want to do work that has to match someone's ottoman you know mm. size I get yeah. you got a preference for some kind of color okay but you know how I work and then he wants more and more so I had that experience once and I just hope that it doesn't happen again uh, but I do I, I do need commission work um and I, I, I met some people at the show, and they were interested in a piece that was sold. So I said, well, I do commission work. I could do something similar. Mm. I'm not going to do the exact same thing, but right. the measurements and things like that, of course, the same. Mm -hmm. But Yeah. Well, and the, the cool thing about that is, is you have the experience of the previous one. So the new thing, if they really just relax and give you carte blanche, they can get something, so something new for a lower price point. Like, look, this, I'm going to work this idea out on your painting. And then maybe this is something I'll run within a show, but just have faith in yes. you as the artist. Yeah. Well, some people, like I said, they, they know what I do and I have some small, restrictions and that's it well this guy just kept adding mm -hmm. and so nah sorry yeah. 
Yeah, wow. So now, um, wow, that that I think that it's great though that you can have this this career, this illustrious career, and only have like it's that you get what you get, you don't throw a fit sort of mentality. I'm gonna make this art, you're gonna love it, or like that's basically what it is because in the scheme of um just all of all of your experience, Michael, I appreciate the like it seems like you know I've, I've met you a few times at Broadway, but going to your show, we got a chance to really talk, and then today even more so. But it seems like there's this momentum that's that's fueled by experience, so you always have something to work on. You have always have something to say with your artwork, so there's no lack of like content. Um, in that, that, do you feel do you feel that way? Uh, it's true. I'm lucky in that respect because that's how I'm working. It comes back to things I've experienced, I've seen, and so that's happening all the time. It's happening all the time. Uh, the last show was not a uh, uh, themed show. Uh, I started doing some things that had to do with my family, and maybe the next show will will have that more fully. Um, but again, it has to do with uh, certain people in my family, what was going on, what happened. Um, yeah, I will take from from whatever's out there that um, pleases me or frightens me or has any kind of um, value that uh, has motivated me. I'm sure, no, no, no question about it. So in that respect, uh, there's plenty of stories to choose from. So now, do you ever get artist block? Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, uh, if I'm not, well, look, you can see around here, I have several pieces that are just the backgrounds. These are not finished pieces. That's not finished. And there's some other things that are turned around and stuff. These are just the backgrounds. Uh, and it may change. But I think, okay, I like a background that's going to have more of a, this sort of a blue or gray or red to keep myself moving, I'm putting the backgrounds without even really knowing what's going to go on top. Um, it could be dangerous in, in that all of a sudden, uh, I did the wrong thing here and I got to cover it all over. I really can't afford to waste materials. Um, but uh, yeah, so this has been like this and uh, I don't know where I'm going from here. Mm. You know, so um, a writer's block or the, the that white canvas can be the scariest thing going on you know what do i do where's the first step what do i want to say if anything uh some things are just pattern uh other things do have that story behind it but yeah there's there is that um and it's a drag to get into it because it can linger um but right now i'm uh, i'm on a high from the show uh and meeting uh people like you i mean there's good things for meeting people in the alley you know <laughs> it's true this yeah, is true, true. absolutely yeah. no, i agree no i, I totally agree yeah because mm -hmm. you never know who you're going to meet. not, not at all yeah not at all yeah so um so moving forward now was there anything that was there any response to work that surprised you with the show uh, yes, I had a piece that uh, I had reservations. 
I had re reservations about it um, working. Um, I liked it, but I wasn't totally complete about it. And I think part of the problem is that um, I'm using shop lights and all this kind of stuff. It's surrounded by a lot of other visual uh, things around it, so I'm not really seeing the thing true. Uh, once it was on the wall and proper lighting, it's just like, wow, this sings. This works for me. M my palette uh, is... Uh, sort of on the dark side because I like to put the wood stain and oil and <clears throat> excuse me to darken things up again going back to um, things older um, I mean you're not going to find uh, pink or light blue well there's a little light blue in there I'll fix I'll get rid of that <laughs> but you know mostly darker so mm -hmm. I you need to have the proper lighting right and uh, Tim Padilla working over at the, at the downtown uh, gallery he knows what he's doing and uh, set it up, and I was very, very happy with it. I think that um, it might have been one of my better shows because I thought that every piece was strong. Uh, and there's been other shows that, yeah, this is good, but uh, this one really uh, spoke to me. And mm -hmm. I think also uh, it's like the first show after two and a half years of sort of lockdown and not being able to get out there. Um, I missed that. You know, I I haven't suffered from this COVID thing. Uh, some people have really been damaged by this. For me, it was just uh, not having a show. And uh, as far as being sequestered, well, I always worked at home anyway. So that wasn't a real issue. But after a while, I started, hard, you know, I was hankering for the human touch go out for coffee, the lunch, you know, see my, you know, I just see my friends next door and talk over the fence. Right. Um, so this show offered me, and I think a bunch of people, a chance to get out, masked properly, mm -hmm. and see the work. And uh, I saw a whole gang load of people I hadn't seen in, in years, and it was very exciting, almost like a homecoming. Um, I had, I had uh, people in there that I went to elementary school with. Wow. I didn't even call them up. I didn't mention anything. So it was through, uh, I don't know how they got the word. Either word of mouth or the email chain. The e email, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, social media chain. somehow. Uh, so people uh, from elementary school, high school, even a, um, a fifth grade teacher came. Wow. She said, I've been following your work all these years. Mm. So um, that part was um, not exciting. It was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And, you know, um, I, I guess uh, I'm old school in that I don't know how to do all of this uh, stuff online and showing my work. Uh, I like the gallery situation. Like you said before, sometimes the pictures do not do justice. Um, I like the gallery idea and I just like socializing. I like talking about the work. Um, and, and also very important. I want to hear what they say. Uh, I want to hear the good, but I guess I have to deal with the bad too. But I, you know, you got to hear what's going on. Like you, you asked about in Japan, what did you take away from that? And it was like these guys, number one, they can read it. 
There's no, there's no um, surprise here. So now they're going to the next question is, is, what do you mean by that and how come and, and all these things. So uh, different place, different questions, different people you're dealing with. Yeah. So, and when you talk, when you're talking about your show, I keep thinking of the one piece that was in the corner, and it was about the hail. And you, oh like, yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that one a little bit? Well, I started using uh, lighter colors. There was two pieces in there that had this sort of um off-white kind of color, and then I put um, wax over that, sort of muddy it up or dirty it up. And I thought I was going to work more in that line, and I may in the next shows because um, that was completely different from from the striking red mm-hmm. to these just just uh, off-white pieces um, I drilled holes in the wood and uh, put um, cut dowels in there little dowels I glued them in there like pegs mm-hmm. and put them in there and uh, painted them up uh, it's very different than what I normally do um, and it comes from a, a Buddhist um, um, haiku, Zen Buddhist haiku. And if I can remember it, it says, like, look, children, it's hailing. Let's go outside. So we're sort of um, thinking out of the box. It's not like it's hailing, get in the house, what's wrong with you? Uh, and, of course, it's Zen, so you can come up with your own conclusions. But I think it's just, you know experience things even those things that uh, might seem a little uh, dangerous or or that might hurt um just standing out there getting pelted with 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 a hail the small ones not the mm-hmm. big grapefruit guys just the small um and that's what that was about right but when i hear you say that i think about the story that you were telling us when the american guy and the japanese guy were both calling each other (laughs) weak right so like i tie that into like the side of like well maybe going out in hell maybe they maybe they were golf ball size and they were just out there still doing it yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah i did mention that story where i heard these two guys talking uh, one Japanese, one was probably American guy, and the American guy said to the Japanese guys, you guys are just pathetic. You're weak. You don't say anything. Things are coming down on you, and you just bow, and you take it, and you take it, and I that you're weak. And the Japanese guy says, you know, you guys are weak. You know, the first time there's an a issue or a problem, you start howling and bitching. You're not strong. You can't take it. And so there's a little bit of both, you know, having some truth in there. These guys are taking it, maybe in my Western perspective, a little bit too long. And these other guys, man, first a step on the toe and um, it's fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, a different view. Right. But, hey, it's hailing. Go outside. Go outside. Go outside, kids. Right. Yeah. yeah. It'd be safe, though. Oh, man, this is... So now, when you make these, um, are are you burning the wood to create those, like, the circles on them? Uh, some of them. Yeah, okay. some of them I'm uh, burning. This one I did, and uh, I use, um, I just use paint thinner. Where I lay it flat on a, on a table or a sawhorse or whatever, mm-hmm. and paint whatever you want to burn. I brush it on with this paint thinner. Don't use gasoline, because that is, that is a, a real high heat, 
and it will just start biting into the wood, and you, you got no control. Mm. With the paint thinner, it's got a little more oil in it, so it'll burn, and then it burns itself out. So there's a control, mm-hmm. and then where well, you want more burn, and paint more, and then light that again. And then once that's done, then I just take a sort of like a, a steel brush and just scrape all the soot out of it, and you get all the uh, veins and, and flow of the wood. So some of them I burn, others I don't. I drill, and then I just get a um, chisel and just pop out or scrape out the other pieces. So it looks like it's sort of pockmarked from burning. Wow. And then what I do after that is that uh, I will just get black paint and paint the whole thing black and then wipe it off. And the black will stay in the recesses. Mm-hmm. And it uh, once it's stained and waxed, it looks like it's been burnt. So I lately I've been sort of skipping the burn part because I, I'm losing uh, space in my backyard where I used to burn. Then there's no burn days. And then, of course, there's a, I had to prepare with a hose and an extinguisher, just safety first kind of deal. Right. So if I can eliminate that process mm-hmm. but you know i i will still burn once in a while it's a it uh, actually it's sort of fun i'm a little pyro i i enjoy that <laughs> everyone likes fire you know when i put that flame uh, the uh, thinner on it on the circle and ignited it it just came up like a blue volcano wow okay i mean and the air in the center somehow sucked it in Ooh. but it was blue like a pilot light in a stove yeah this yeah, this is hot. the art. I should be doing this right, for the art. Right, right, yeah, that's hot. Demos, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, the game is to be sold, not told. <laughs> yeah. Art and Bullshit mm-hmm. Podcast. So, and, but I think that that's kind of cool that you're, well, like you said, you're drilling, and then you, 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 you found a way to, nothing's going to give the same effect as a burn, but if you can capture the spirit, and then once you get the space that you want, go back to yes, that. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's exciting. And I think that's part of being an artist is understanding like, okay, these are this is my routine, and at some point you can figure out how to omit a step and still get to the finish line. Well, you know, I'm doing the drilling, and so if you do the drilling in the wood, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be crisp. Mm-hmm. The the edging of the right. hole is crisp. And I'm trying to make this look like it's been around for a while, it's been beat up. So that's where I use a chisel to stick it in there halfway and then rip it out and parts break off. Or again, the fire will do that. Um, uh, so I don't want stuff to be crisp unless it's supposed to be. I don't want it to look... Um, um, aged, weathered. Aged, chewed up. Mm-hmm. Gnarled. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I have limited space for... Uh, putting things so in this mm-hmm. you know once the rain stops i'm able to put these things outside and i've had stuff hanging on the garage wall uh months sometimes a couple of years um it's wood and it's got uh, house paint on it so I, I think it's reasonably safe i mean my house is wood and it's got house paint on it it's, it's guaranteed for 25 years <laughs> Art and Bullshit Podcast. We had to get a drop on that one. That was great. Oh, yeah. So now, are you, is 
with uh do you ever experience like ventilation well you have a pretty good ventilation system with the garage door and the door but are do you ever feel like lightheaded or is there toxic fumes yeah you gotta watch that, that out yeah um you know to anyone who's doing this and you're young do what you're supposed to do get a mask get uh, make sure in your air because when i was younger i never used um a, a mask and you're sanding all this breathing in all this wood dust uh i use some chemicals that um i think i've been uh, exposed way too much so when i i use liquid iron and liquid uh liquid copper and um in my painting but when i open up the can already uh, the filling in my teeth start to um get Whoa. this metal taste Dang. so it's no good i mean i've already had yeah, you've I've already, ingested I've already like got so it in much. My system. Yeah, wow. So just open it up, and my the fillings in my teeth just start to. Um, <laughs> Dang man, that's like that's yeah. no good. No, it's all it's no mask good. up. Now, are you now? Or when you're working now, are you taking safety precautions? Oh yeah, well it's as you said. Uh, I got a high ceiling. Mm-hmm. I got the windows would be all open. Mm-hmm. I have fans and more fans. So I'm trying to circulate this, but I I do wear a a mask now these days. Okay. Yeah, and that, see, that's wild too, Michael, because we have to, there's so, like, all of the things artists have to be careful of. And yeah, I mean, definitely our health and safety is at the top of the list because if you're not moving, you're not making art. So. No, you know, there's an industrial kind of component to some of the work that some people are doing. And uh, you're using uh, industrial um, quality um materials and um you got to read that stuff you can't just be playing around with it you know mm-hmm. i remember the first time i was doing silk screening and um we were cleaning them and mm-hmm. we were using acetone well this mm-hmm. is the first time that i even knew about acetone mm-hmm. and i was getting it all over my hands and i go wow this feels great the cooling sensation you know and the teacher was going what the hell are you doing you know wash your hands immediately you know it says that acetone gets right into the blood system and goes right to your liver and it, it's not expelled. Mm. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. You, you got to know your products yeah. that, you, that you're using. Certainly if they're if water-based stuff's a completely different deal. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah, so that's... Solvents, some, solvents, you got to really yeah. pay attention to, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm not getting dizzy or anything like that. Okay. As much as I used to enjoy that when I was younger. Hey, yeah. you might have to spray. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's great. So now, are you planning on, um, like, as far as, because I know that it, everything kind of locked down. Have you been staying put for the most part? Or are you, like, thinking about traveling um, as far as, to do any exhibitions do you, is that something that you would entertain if the door opened up or would you be more comfortable staying in the central valley if something opened up i, I would um i entertain that without a question mm-hmm. uh, in fact right now i'm looking at a couple of possibilities okay. i'm not gonna say anything more because it's just in the dream stages right but uh i would do everything i can to make sure that i'm uh, protected you know, mm-hmm. like at the show, we had, had a, um, a large space. It was airy. The garage door is up. Um, wearing masks, you know, 
hand sanitizers. I mean, there's only so much I can do. You know, I've already been vaccinated and had the booster and all that. Mm -hmm. So the rest is really up to me because those are the sort of the simplest things I can do. So, right. Yeah, if someone said, hey, uh, we're interested in your work, you want to come and show over here, I would gladly do that. Um, but I, I'm not going to be reckless. Yeah. Like, you know, so you show the art and then you get sick and die. What the hell is the... What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like we're operating in a minefield. We got to really watch, yeah, yeah. watch where you step. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So now, what would you say, looking back on your art career, were two defining moments for you? Hmm. Uh, one was going to Japan. Um, I mentioned before that I was in um, Alaska and. I was doing art, but very little, and had very little time. Japan changed that completely. So there was time, not only time, but I was able to, to build a studio and to show every year that I was there. Um, and that, uh, what do you want to say, that bug of showing and being in above all these people around, checking your work out, I, 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 I dug it. I loved it. This is what I want to do. So I think that would have been one of the defining moments. Uh, and then I think going to KelArts, I went to school there. I really enjoyed it, but I had a real tough time uh, first couple of years were, were difficult for me. You know, I came um, from a high school that had like a shitty, if at best, um, art program. Mm. So I didn't know a lot of stuff. In fact, I got to a point where the teacher uh, felt that I was already beyond what he w could teach. So he says, do whatever you want. Well, of course, I'm saying hallelujah, but that's that was wrong. I mean, I'm not learning a damn thing that way. Mm -hmm. So when I got over there, it's just like, oh, I'm, I'm way behind. I'm already behind, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't have a... Um, a valuable uh, art um, instruction at an early age. Like was, foundations. No foundation, no, no. So when I got there, just like, um, you gotta run. I had to run all the time. By the third year, okay, I, 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 I can roll with this. Mm -hmm. But I actually was even thinking of leaving and going to another school, mm. you know, and I'm glad I didn't. Um, there was a lot of uh, conceptual work that uh, I needed to learn, I needed to understand. You know, it's it was the real thing. And um, where I came from, it was just um, nothing nothing there. So. Right, well, it's, it's coming from where it's non-existing. Because a lot of times people in... In a lot of school systems, there's no funding for the, for a solid arts program. Oh, it's the first thing cut. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't see the value of the arts. Sports don't seem to uh, suffer too much. Bring that cash in. Well, well that's absolutely right. But, uh, you know, if you want to have this sort of proper, balanced uh, Athenian and Spartan ideals of, uh, of, the, of the, the body and the mind working together, you got to have the arts. That's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, that man. I like that quote. Yeah, I'm gonna have to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> well, give me one. De- oh, definitely, definitely. I need a two X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, moving forward, are there any things like on your artistic bucket list? Do you have like an art bucket list of things that you really want to accomplish, or is it because some people do, some people don't? I would like to be able to show some. Uh, um, you know, I. Some years back, I showed in San Francisco and mm-hmm. had a great time. I was there for about four years. Okay. Um, and I was jazzed about that, that my work is now selling and being bought by people in, in the city. And um, I was also getting San Francisco prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that uh, fell through. The place uh, closed down because someone was um, was ill, and so they had to sort of circle the wagons around him and the place had been up for 25 years and mm-hmm. then he closed it down. So most of my time has been just spent here in um, in the Central Valley. I've shown in Vegas uh, uh, and of course all the places in between in the valley here. Uh, you know, I'm not really worried about that. You know, I, I guess maybe I could be very simplistic and say, I I have already met a lot of things I wanted to do. Uh, but, you know, if I'm looking right now to maybe see if I can get a couple galleries in some other um, locations that uh, offer me uh, a chance to have more attention by more people. But, um, you know, like when I left CalArts and I went to Alaska to go make the money for, to pay the tuition, um, there was a little bit of me that said, you know, I want to go to New York, but I would, I don't, there's no way I would have been able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I was in debt and, you know, I would have to go to Alaska. And so that road took a different path. And so it wasn't going to be in New York or Chicago or someplace. It was going to be in Japan where things started to develop. Um, and here now I have my own studio. I'm working, um, showing um, I guess I am a, a success in a little way, and I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, you, you pay dues, but still have bills to pay. Oh, so. yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, the, the hustle does not stop. But I, I get that. And then there's also power in being present in the moment and not looking too far ahead. So That's I, true. I can see that. I, You know, some people are saying, hey, uh, what about this and uh, how about going over here and uh, here's an address and here's some numbers. Yeah, that's great. That's good. And, but maybe it wasn't my, it wasn't on my schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't want to be overwhelmed with something and then, and then, and then fail. Right. So I'm, uh, I'm happy where things are at this point. So, now, a few more questions before we're going to wrap it up, because we've been at this for like an hour and 45 minutes. That long? Yes, sir. I was wondering when my ass hurts. Jesus, man. <laughs> goddamn stools don't help at all. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you needed a break. We could have totally, you know, whenever you I need a to, pillow but... under my butt. Jesus, <laughs> Lord. These shots will say, you know, you're here for a good time, not a long time, <laughs> right? So, yeah, that's... <laughs> That's what these are designed for. But um, so now I'm curious. It seems like you have um, 
Okay, so two questions that I wanted to ask you is number one, how do you handle um because I see there there are reoccurring themes that you use like the fly, right? And how do you how do you handle keeping a fresh take on that because it seems like every like the way that you're using it even though there's like a a pattern to it i mean like all of the surfaces that there's like a line of, of these are what like two by are these 24 inch by 24 inch i believe so right so and all of them have just this character to them um and i'm just wondering like a how long does it take to actually do that background like how long are you spending because this is gold, right? Yeah, that's gold enamel. It's a sign painter's enamel. So it's, uh, and which of course I can't get right now because of the goddamn <laughs> COVID. We were just, Jason was talking about that last night in the uh, studio, like one shot being like an arm and a leg right oh, now. Oh, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, eight months I've been waiting. Mm -hmm. And finally they told me, well, they've got the stuff over wherever they make it, Mil say Milwaukee, right? Mm -hmm. They've got the stuff, but they don't have the cans. Dude, no. So, so things are, wow. aren't connecting anymore. Wow. I had no idea that this, mm -hmm. this nation was so precarious mm -hmm. that just one thing goes wrong and everything is, is well, jammed up. That's the Heinz concept. Like, you know, Heinz, they don't, like, it's all a different thing. And then, like, the top to the bottle, the bottle, the label, the, like, it's all these different companies mm -hmm. and they put it together. Yeah, sure. And there's so much room for error when you're operating in that because it's like there's all these moving parts. Yeah, we have cap, we have bottled ketchup, but we don't have caps. No caps. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, they have a, they have a, Toyota Motor Company has a system called Just In Time. Mm-hmm. And because of the um, uh, the shortage of land space, so they have the factory where they're going to put the cars together, but they have limited storage space for the parts. So just in time is that they know that these trucks are going to be coming in on this day and we need so much, it has to happen right on time. So we don't have to worry about storage. We don't have to build... Uh, warehouses and if something has to stay well they can stay in the truck but it's a uh, it's like we need um, 500 uh, passenger seats today and we need them by 12 o'clock noon and we've already got a truck coming from Yokohama it will be here at 11:30. so that's how they worked it just in time wow and it's that's what this has. I'm finding out that's what it was. Mm -hmm. It's like they're doing it the right way. Yeah. Well, but until they find out that also their truck drivers have decided uh, I'm not going to work or, you know, right. The leather for them seats is not coming in from wherever. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, but they had that notion, you know, if you connect just at the right amount of time, we don't need to do all these extra things. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's a good way of looking at it. Like if you can kind of form a philosophy around that, making art and just connecting connecting all the dots, then you you save yourself. I need to yeah. You give me a lot of game to run with, Michael. You know that there's a lot of talking to you. I get a lot of jewels to to take with me and uh and ponder. Man, this is this is definitely an exciting process. So, okay, really quick, two more things. So you have in the corner there's like a, a lady and a and a gentleman, <laughs> yeah. right? So I was curious, like, 
how far would you say that that piece is like as far as start to completion and then because I, I don't know so I would like to ask and then can you tell the story if well there's the, a... these pieces I, I did these a long time ago okay it's um so there it's no longer anything anymore I had um I can't even remember what the idea I had but I had several I think about 10 or 15 of the squares like this with with these sort of um, clip art guys, mm -hmm. men and women, and I have numbers on them. Each one has a number. And I tell you, I cannot remember what I was trying to say or do. But um, all of a sudden, I put that aside and I uh, had forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. And then I opened it up and I says, nah, I don't know about this thing anymore. So I've been giving them away, you know. Wow. A friend of mine... Uh, he works on a suicide hotline, mm -hmm. and he's always on the phone. So I had one of these clip arts with a guy, he's on the phone, you know, mm -hmm. and I make some comment in the back. Uh, things like that, nice. you know. So it's no longer working as it originally was intended. Mm. These are just things that I have collecting dust. And um, But a friend of mine came in here the other day, he says, oh, I want those, I want those. And so we'll, we'll see. Right, you're like, let's negotiate, yeah, let's yeah, make something. Yeah. When's your birthday? Maybe, maybe, mm. maybe. Yeah, I, that would be, man, that's a cold-blooded birthday present. <laughs> you, Man, you, you're a homeboy, man, he's going to have to... Yeah, get you a like a, a crazy hug and a Starbucks gift card and and about four gallons of of one shot. That one, that's it. That's man. it. That's it. Yeah, because like this is metallic gold one shot, please. If you guys are listening and you want to give Michael Garcia a gift, metallic <laughs> gold one shot. Don't expect anything in return. Art and Bold Fit Podcast. <laughs> Right. So now, I mean, it's we're almost an hour into this, Michael. So like, um, so we're gonna wrap it up. Do you have any shout outs you want to give? Oh, uh, you know, right now I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Piet Ogata and um, Tim Padilla, and to Robert Ogata uh, for um, and Zandra Ogata. Excuse me. I'll put all all of them in there. They had the uh, foresight to get. Um, that space rolling and running bring it back to, to uh, the arts it's been fallow or empty for more than 10 years mm. it was originally earmarked for the arts and so it was just a real waste of a space and uh, <clears throat> these people who had an idea for the future of the arts here in fresno um have put their time energy finances uh, to get this thing rolling, and I hope it's a tremendous success. Uh, their whole thing is to uh, show, um, to help uh, and show artists around here that they feel uh, um, need some assistance, and we all do. Um, so I give a shout out to the Downtown Artist Gallery in Fresno. It's the newest place, um, large space accommodates large pieces of work and uh, great people to deal with. They're pros. They're absolutely pros. Okay. 
um, really quick before the next question, can you talk about the, the because you told that uh, Jason, you guys, Jason Graham is holding it down in the background like a silent ninja on this episode. But we were talking about that door, the, the door piece that you had made before we started recording. It's the car door that you oh, have. The car door. Can you tell the story <laughs> of, of that or, on here? Sure. Uh, the car door. Uh, this this is when I was living in Toyota, in Jinakacho, and there was an intersection that was just notorious for accidents, and most of them uh, ended up in death. So one night I was in my studio, and you hear that uh, very familiar, unfortunately, familiar sound of um, folded steel and shattered glass. Okay, we got a car. So everyone in the neighborhood, in the area, runs out there. And there, you see this guy had crashed into a concrete telephone pole, and he was knocked out. Now, people stood all around him, talking, gawking, but doing absolutely nothing. They, no one checked on the man. So, I don't know, I was my Western ways, or I, was, I did Red Cross, or I was a Boy Scout, or whatever. But I, I, checked, I checked the guy out. At first, I was... Yelling at him if to see if there's any kind of response. Could he hear? Mm -hmm. Nothing. I check his pulse in his neck and his wrist. I was checking his back and front to see if there was any blood. Nothing. He looked like he was just sleeping. And all the time these guys are saying, oh, leave him alone. Wait till the ambulance comes or whatever. And uh, that would be long in coming. Uh, there was one guy in the uh, crowd there that got this look in his face like he knew what to do, and he split, went around the corner, and he was gone for a few minutes, and he came back <clears throat> with a sheet of newsprint. And I was standing by the door. It was a company car. And the guy comes and tapes up the newspaper over the company door, over the logo and the symbol and the name. And he looks up at me, and he says, you know, he would be very uh, embarrassed and ashamed if people saw that his car was in an accident. And I thought, well, this that's bizarre. No one got up to help him, but they were on this um, shame guilt that he, he would be shamed by this. So they covered up the, uh, he was a butcher. He was a local butcher and he had the, the company logo on his car. <clears throat> So finally the ambulance came and they took him away. And so now uh, the shame on his family and his company were was averted because this guy put this newspaper on there. And then later on that night, the, um, the unattended butcher died. Mm. You know, just sort of a completely different way of looking at things. And uh, I was just, I was sort of blown away. Um, the shame and the honor thing was 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 important. Uh, maybe not more important to some people, but to these guys, they didn't touch him because they don't know what the hell to do. Uh, but uh, they wanted to feel like they were helping, and so we'll cover we'll cover the shame part. And so that's I have a car door there that the window is all plastered with the Japanese. Uh, newspaper sim symbolizing that and then on the car door there's a symbol of his company but basically it says meat because he was a butcher <clears throat> and on all uh, 
company cars, you see those numbers on them. And I put the number 248 Nyon and that's the road in which he was killed. Mm. So, you know, and that's the story is heavy. The, the piece of artwork really it, it grabbed my attention as soon as I walked into your home, and I couldn't leave here without telling the story. And I, I didn't want you to have to tell it twice, but it's like, man, we need that for, for the episode. Um, so, the last question. Michael, where can they catch you at on the internet? Wow, you're asking a caveman. Okay. I don't, um, I still, uh, I just have a post box and, okay. and a telephone. Um, okay. Some people have put stuff out there, mm-hmm. and um, I will get some things out there, but, you know, really it's, um, I don't, I don't, I don't even have a computer. Okay. I'm just. Um, you're a ninja. Nineteenth <laughs> century ninja. <laughs> Not even the twenty first century. Right. And my sister gave me a, a message phone, a message uh, machine for my phone. She said, "I got to get you at least to the twentieth century." Whoa. You know? Yeah, that's next level. That's, I love it. Though. I love I'm, it. I'm moving slow. I'll get mm-hmm. to there. Yep. So we will. We'll post. Uh, Michael's work and you know we'll we'll as much information as we can get to you guys we got you and uh with that you could be anywhere on the internet but you're here with us so we appreciate that catch us again next week same bs time same bs channel once again this some shit i just thought of y'all scientific fiction that's not admissible in no court of law i'm out of here like vladimir james drills over and out art and bullshit podcast